Jesus is calling us to today in this text is uh, not the cruise ship. Um, many of us would, would love a cruise. Many of us would love to go on the Disney cruise or the Carnival cruise. I mean, that'd be awesome, right? But life with Jesus is, is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. It's a battleship. And, and we see that in the text today. Um, and that's what he's, he's called us to, is to have that mentality um, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, but as we look at this text today, there, there's something that, I, that you're going to continually hear me say, and I just want to encourage you with today, is this, that Christians are not quitters. We don't quit. We are not to quit. And that's tough today, because in our culture, in our society today, and even in the church culture, there's a lot of quitting. A lot of quitting. Um, this summer... My uh, oldest son uh, played on a basketball team, and um, th- this lesson came to the surface. Uh, they had won, I think, a couple games, um, but they also had had some, some really tough defeats. I mean, like, just getting slaughtered. Um, and so, uh, as the season went on, uh, players uh, would, would text and stuff like this, say, hey, I'm not showing up to the game, we, we're not any good, things like, you know, things like that, why do we want to show up? And, of course, my son's getting frustrated because he just wants to play, right? He just wants to play, and we're sitting there saying, hey, you're not quitting. You're, you're going to show up. Um, and by the end of the season, not only was his team not showing up, but his coach quit showing up, which for me was, was kind of like, are, are you kidding me? Uh, and so that started rubbing me a little wrong. So um, the, first, the last game of the season, uh, they all said they were going to be there, um, and the only one there was, was Noah. Not even the coach. And uh, you guys just said, aw, and dad just got hot. Because <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I was on fire. I'm still on fire about it. I haven't gotten, no, this is kind of, this part of my counseling this morning. I, I am dead serious with you. <laughs> dead serious with you. I'm still on fire about it. I'm like, I want a refund for the jersey too. And anyway, so... <laughs> And you're, my wife is like, dude, he's like serious. Like, he's so serious, all right? Um, so I, I can't let bitterness, uh, y'all, y'all keep me accountable to this. Uh, I'll let bitterness uh, take a root. Anyway, um, but we see it in our culture, right? We, we see just this, this thought that, hey, we just quit things. We'll just, we'll just stop. Even though I committed to it, I'm just going to stop. Stop. And we see it, obviously, in much grander situations than summer league basketball. We, we see it with marriages, all right? Whether it's a husband or a wife just giving up on their marriage and, and just thrown in the towel. Um, we see it with, with parents. I even heard a story this morning. We're praying for a little guy at our 9 o'clock hour uh, with, with the teachers uh, uh, where his parents just, just gave up on him and parenting, um, and, and, and giving him a life and sustaining him. And, and it's a sad, sad story. And we, we see stories like that. We, we see people giving up on uh, the church as a whole, just, just quitting, throwing in the towel. We see people quitting on Jesus. Um, and so this morning, one of the things I want you just to walk away with, my heart is, is, is simply that, don't quit. The, the call of, of, of Jesus for us as his followers and disciples is that we would persevere to the end. In fact, as, as you read through the book of Revelation, that's what you hear. You hear a story of perseverance. 
And you see a story of great victory of Jesus Christ who will one day stand on this earth as king and ruler of all, the new heavens and new earth. And those who persevere to the end will be with him forever. It's a story of victory, but it's a story of perseverance. It's a story of endurance. It's a story of running the race and finishing that we would be finishers. And so today, I want to encourage you with that. Don't quit. Maybe you're in here today, and and you are struggling with that. Maybe there's some things that you are thinking about quitting on that you know you should not. I I want you to walk away today and know you don't have to quit on that. And so let's look at the text today. Um, Luke 14, verse 25. Now, key to this... um, one of the things that writers in Scripture will do is, is they will take, especially the gospel writers, different uh, episodes of Jesus' life, and, and they uh, sometimes will put them in chronological order, and sometimes they will just put them in placement based on the, the, the Holy Spirit, on what the Holy Spirit wanted him to say and to speak about. And so we're not real sure what, what happens between verse 24 and 25, but we do know this, that Luke, the writer, has Jesus sitting at a formal dinner, and Jesus has just got done sharing like three parables at this dinner. And, and now, in verse 25, we see Luke going from this parable about the dinner now to Jesus up again walking and on the road to Jerusalem. So there's a, a shift in setting. There's a shift in context here. But I want you to remember from, from last week, before we move away from that real quick, is what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about that he is giving an invitation to all, Right? An invitation to all, and that invitation is still going out today. Do you remember he called the church to go out and compel them to come in? To come into what? The kingdom of God. To have a relationship with God. To know God, and ultimately we know God through Jesus Christ. We, by grace, through faith, can have a relationship with, with Christ. And it's the, a work that only God does, that God is saving. God is drawing men to himself. It's not something we just wake up one day and say, well, that sounds like a good idea. No, that's something that God does. He stirs our hearts, and he draws us to himself, that you and I would, would follow him, and that we would receive that invitation that is by grace alone, and that we would trust, and that we would follow him. And so, so we saw that last week, that there's this free invite to the banquet. It is grace and grace alone. But this week, as we go to this new setting, we see something connected to that. It's not separate from it, but now we see the call to discipleship. That, that those who come to the banquet, those who are invited in, those who receive and say yes to the invitation, that they are called to be disciples. And so what does that mean for us? That there's commitment, there's responsibility, that those who trust in Christ, that there is a fruit of that, and that we are to follow, that we're to follow the one who has bought for us salvation, who has given us eternal life, that we are now to follow him. He has radically changed our life. We are new creations, and now we're to live a new life for him. And that's what he's going to talk about this morning is that other side of, okay, you're now part of the kingdom of God. If, if you're going to truly be disciples of mine, here's what that looks like. Here's a picture of what that looks like. And so look at verse 25, if you would, with me. He says, now large crowds were going along with him. So here's Jesus uh, going along toward Jerusalem. 
And Jesus turned and said to them. So now he's going to speak to them. But before we move on, he's walking and he has large crowds. Okay? Jesus' popularity is growing. It will grow uh, all the more, uh, especially as he gets to Jerusalem. We'll see the triumphal entry eventually. But, but here, crowds are following him. Now, many of these people in the crowd were not following him to truly be a learner, a student, a disciple of his. Because that's what a disciple is, a learner a student, um, that in that day, Judaism, those who were part of Judaism, there was a picture of what discipleship would look like. You had a rabbi, you had his students, and they would sit in a classroom. But there were some who were called out specifically to come alongside the rabbi and to follow him whatever he did throughout the day. And that was a picture of what discipleship looked like, is you would follow and that you would do whatever your teacher your rabbi did. And so this idea of discipleship is that, that we're a student, we're a learner. It, it talks about discipline too. That's the root of this word. It, it's from that word, discipline. And so that's what a disciple is, one who is committed. But these in this large crowd, many of them were not down with that. They were not into that. They simply wanted benefit from Jesus. What do you, what do you got for me, Right? What, what can you do for me? Maybe a healing. Maybe feed me like you did the thousands of people before. I mean, that's what they were looking for. What could you do for me? And so many would follow him with that in mind. And many of our culture is like that. It's a consumer-minded idea. It's the cruise ship idea. What, what can I get out of this? What can this do for me? And now there's a lot of, obviously, sides of Christianity of what Christianity can do for you. There is a lot of benefit. There's a lot of reward. You bet. But a lot of times it's, it's felt needs, right? It's not necessarily things we really need. We start wanting things that maybe are more about frills and thrills instead of truth and what's good and beneficial truly for our life. And many in this crowd were like that. And so Jesus turns to them, knowing that, and listen to what he says. He's going to bring up two, what I would call, qualifications to be his disciple. And the way he's going to share that, he's going to do it three times, is he's going to do it in a way of negativity, all right? In the sense of, hey, here's what you've got to do, and if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. And so he's going to use it in a negative sense. And so look at verse 26, and he's going to give us the first qualification to be his disciple. He says, if anyone comes to me, does not hate, okay, that word is right if you're reading it there, okay, does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if that's the first time in your life you ever read that verse, you're sitting there going this morning, what, right? What? Jesus really say that? There, there must be a mistranslation here, right? Okay. So what does he mean? What does he mean? Here's what he, here's what he does not mean. It, it, because in Scripture it tells us to love our neighbor, even our enemies. Okay? We're to be honoring to our mom and our dad. Husbands, 
Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So, so he tells us to love, right? He tells us to love. So what does this mean? What does this word hate mean here? He uses it more in a relative term instead of an absolute sense here. He meant that one is willing to give up their primary allegiance to family, even to self, to follow Jesus. It's a term of comparison. So he wasn't saying in these relationships, be unkind to these people, be unloving to these people, downright hate these people. It was a term of comparison to say that your relationship with me is in such stark contrast to your other relationships that it's evident, that it's evident. And so what is this? He's talking about our first love, that Jesus himself is to be our first love. Our primary allegiance, our primary loyalty is to be to him. Pursuing Jesus is to be our first priority. As disciples, we're to love Jesus supremely above anything or anyone else. You remember in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus calls out the church at Ephesus, and he tells them this, I have this one thing against you. I have this thing against you. You have done what? You have left your first love. He's talking about himself. So what does this mean? It means in life we're going to face relational pressures. There are going to be times we have relationships with people, whether it's friends. Some of us who are on the single end of life, what what does that mean? That we will uh, face pressure in dating relationships. Some of us will face pressures in business relationships. In every relational area, there will be pressures. Be those who will maybe tempt us with not living out God's will, maybe in the area of purity, maybe in the area of what's ethically right. I mean, you could go on and on and on, but but ultimately what they do is they lead us away from Jesus being our first love. There'll be times when we put other people in our life uh, above following Jesus. And Jesus is saying here, My relationship with you is to be of one where I am your first love. I am your supreme love. And so right now, just right where we're at in life right now, who or what have we put above Jesus? Maybe it's a relationship. And Jesus is going to address in other places. It's, It's comfort. It's entertainment. It's things, and we could go on and on and on. What are we putting above him? And that was the whole goal, right, of the Ten Commandments, is that we're to have no other gods except the one true God, that Jesus is to be our first love. And so that's the first qualification of discipleship. So we are to have Jesus supremely of the love of our life. He is our greatest treasure. Is that you today? Is that you today? Is that where you're at? If not, he says, you cannot follow me. Those are hard words. But look at the second thing he says. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross, come after me. He cannot be my disciple. So this idea of the cross. Now think about this. When Jesus is saying this, has his crucifixion happened? Obviously not. So what does he have in mind here? When he says, 
If you want to come after me, if, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross. In another place, he says, you've got to take up your cross daily. And so what's the idea here? Well, if back in the day, the Romans, what they would do is if you were going to be executed for a crime you committed, you would go and hang on a cross. In fact, there were stories about how along the shoreline there would be crosses just for, it seemed like forever, hundreds of them lined up, and that's where they would execute people. And it was always put there as a sign of strength and, and, and authority. It was a symbol. And so back then, that was a symbol. Today, obviously, we see it on, the, on a different end, different side, but the symbol is death, is death. And so when he says this to this crowd, he's telling them, if you're not willing to die, you cannot be my disciple. Because what would people do is they were going to this point of execution. They would carry their own electric chair, right? They would carry it to the cross. So again, hard words, very hard words. What does Jesus mean? I think there's a few thoughts here, but I think the first one is you have to be willing to die to yourself. You have to die. Your old self has to die. Paul put it this way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. That's an amazing thought. I've been crucified with Christ. Then he says, it's no longer I who live. So my life has changed. It's no longer this old self corrupted by sin. This old depraved self. It's no longer that doing the living. But instead, the life which I now live in the flesh. So I'm still present. I still have to deal with this old man. But I have new spirit. The life I live now in the flesh is by what? By faith in the Son of God. Who loved me, gave himself up for me. So it's a loving thing, right? This kind of death is a loving death. To die to yourself is a good thing, is a great thing. And that's what Jesus came for. It says, so the old self could be done away with and the new self by the spirit of God you could be a new creation but the old self has to die and when we come to Jesus that's what's happening when he comes and he saves us look at places like Ezekiel we could go into that today we're not going to but there's many places in scripture that shows us that what God does is he takes us and he makes us into a new creation we are brand new do we still battle the old self and sin? You, you betcha. We will until we see him in glory one day. But we are to die. And Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, I die daily. Paul had this mentality that, hey, every day that I roll over and I get on my two feet, I'm a dead man walking. I'm dead to myself. I'm dead to my sinful desires. I'm dead to the fleshly desires uh, of this world and the lusts of this world and, and what the, this world pursues. And I live, and so here's the second part. These aren't two things. They're one. Listen to what he says. I, you are to take up your cross and come after me, Jesus says. 
Take up your cross and come after me if you want to be my disciple. What is coming after me? Pursuing, following. I put these two things together, right? Because here's the thing. In our world today, there's a lot of messages of self-denial. A lot of messages of self-denial. And Jesus is not just looking for self-denial, right? Jesus is looking and wanting for you to be crucified with him. That you would die to yourself. So he says we've got to take up our cross and follow him. And when we do this, here's some things that are going to happen. Think about if you were carrying your cross to the point of execution. Or if we as believers today take serious what Jesus is saying and we take up our cross, what are we going to face? We're going to face opposition. I talked to one of our members this week on the phone. And I just I want to celebrate him and I'm going to share his name from up here, but I just, just want to honor him because he called me and said, listen, I'm in this role. I'm in this significant role of influence. Okay, he didn't say that. I'm summarizing um, because he is. And he's saying, I've, I've got to stand up in, uh, against this evil thing. And, and, and it's, it's going to face some opposition. And he said, I just I need wisdom and I need prayer. And I thought, man, I just want to celebrate, man. Because that is awesome. That's what we're to do out in the real world. When we leave here, we're, we are to be the light and the salt of the world, the earth. That's what Jesus has called us to. We stand up against evil, even if it means opposition. That's taking up your cross. Another side of that is shame. There'll be times when we take up our cross, we stand for Jesus. People are going to make fun of us. They're going to ridicule, ridicule us. Uh, it's going to cause you some embarrassment at times, things like that. And you're going to be like, man, I, this just feel, I don't like this feeling. But that comes with that. It's, it's shame. But you know what? Jesus doesn't want us to be ashamed of him. He wants us to be unashamed of the gospel. He wants us to live boldly for him. And I know at times, man, the students in here, it, it's tough at times. Because you've got this large crowd at your school who is not taking up their cross. And when you are called to take up your cross in that kind of culture, in that kind of setting, man, there's going to be shame. But Jesus says, hey, listen, take up your cross. Not only opposition, shame, but suffering. We're going to suffer. I mean, how many of us, we start hearing this list, and we're like, sign me up for that. I'm, I want to do that. I mean, no. But that's, that's what it is. And then the fourth and last thing is death, even death. And that's a real reality. There's a mission organization that used to exist, and they would have their missionaries pack all their belongings in coffins before they would head off to their destination to serve. And the slogan was, go until I die. That was their slogan. And what they would also do is they would write a farewell letter to all their family, dear ones, and friends. And they would go until they died. And then that letter would be given to family members. And that's how they went. And so I want you to hear this verse today. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go and die for me. That's what he's saying. 
There's, there's no other way to soften that for you this morning. That's what he's saying. Go and die. Look what he says next. I, I don't have anything else on that, by the way. <laughs> Can't soften it for you, but that's what he's saying, right? Look at verse 28. 28. I mean, when you, hear, when you hear that, I mean, like when I was looking at take up your cross this week, I'm thinking, okay, I've, t- I've taught this before. I've taught Luke 9.23. There's places in Matthew that talk about this. Uh, Galatians 2.20. I mean, we can go to different, many different, but, but a lot of times uh, this week I was searching. I was like, okay, how else can I communicate this? And I thought at the end of the, my time of study, I thought, there is no other way than just saying, Jesus is saying here, go and die. And so I, ho- I hope that lands, and I hope you can wrestle with that, because I, I wrestle with it. I wrestle with that. I mean, we, we, re- we come up against this every day, Right? What, am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for the way of the world? Am I going to live for these aspirations? Am I going to live for these pursuits? Or am I going to die to those and live for Jesus? I mean, we live with that daily. It's real. Look at verse 28. He shares a parable, and he, he wants us to get that we've got to count the cost. We've got to understand the cost. And listen to what he says. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower or a farm building, that's probably a little bit more accurate in the translation, or maybe a watchtower in a vineyard. So whoever wants to build something like that in that culture, he does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Does he not? Is that not what he's going to do? Is he not going to make a budget, right? A building budget? Look what he says next. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, key word, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, make fun of him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And so here's the deal. He's looking at this large crowd. You're following me. You're following me to all these places. You're shutting down your, your business. You're leaving your, your village and your uh, place where you live at, and you're, you're following me. You're following me. But do you really understand what it means to follow me? Or... Are you going to be with me to the end? Are you going to be with me? Because here's the deal. I'm about to die. What are you going to do then? When I'm gone ridiculed on, and, and, and made a, a spectacle on the cross, what are you going to do then? Are you going to keep following me? What's going to happen when the government starts ending up things and, and man, your life could be on the line if you confess and follow me. What's gonna happen, large crowd, if you do that? Have you considered all this? Have you thought through this and counted the cost? Have you? I mean, that's what he's saying through this parable. And so what is he telling them? I want you, there's, there's some key words here in this parable and the next one, finish, finish. So what is that? Don't quit. Okay, if you, if you come, are you, you're going to quit? You're going to bail out if it gets too hot and heavy? If it gets too hard? If the road gets too long? If it's, if it's I'm calling you for, if you're 18 now and you're going to live to 78, you've got 60 years of that. Are, are you in for that? Are you in for that? Because that's what I'm calling you to. Have you sat down and calculated that cost? You don't be one of those who... At age 30, you're like, dude, I'm out. Age 40, I'm out. Age 50, that midlife crisis, I'm out. You don't want to be that. Are you in? 
Sure, there's going to be times we mess up. Sure, there's going to be times we, we fail. But true followers get back up. The righteous get back up. I think true f- failure is not getting back up. We get back up. That's what grace does. Grace gets us back up. And discipleship is to the end. We are to finish. We're to finish. We're to persevere to the end. So some practical points before you start something. Do your homework. Make a plan. We need to be wise as Christians with everything we do, practically speaking. Be careful you don't commit to too much. And you have to bail on something. Sometimes that can happen. We've got to be wise about that. Uh, don't raise your hand unless you're willing to see it through to the end. But here's another word. Don't be one of those that never raise their hand. You've got to get off the bench in the game. Right? Don't let laziness and the pursuit of other loves or treasures or things keep you from getting into the game of discipleship. It's kind of like this. One thing that I've learned about girls and women, right, yeah, I think it's just wired to them, praise the Lord, is that they like weddings, right? They like weddings. I think it's most, some may be like, mm, but for the most case, they do. So I want to give you this picture. Think of a lady, right? Her wedding's coming. She's met this guy, and they're going to get married, and She's excited about the dress, very excited about the dress. She's excited about the venue, where they're going to have it at. It's a big deal. The food, cake, and we can go on in the list. We just keep going on and on. The flowers, the pictures, all of that. She's excited about the wedding night. She's excited about that whole thing, the wedding, and they're married. But then she wakes up that next morning, and she looks, and she starts thinking to herself, I've got 50 years of this. I've got 60 years of this. Do I want to really be married? I mean, some of us in here are thinking, okay, it's funny, it's, it's, it's silly. But that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. You want the wedding, but you don't want the marriage. Because we all know in here, <laughs> if you wake up the next morning and you're thinking you're out, just wait 10 years, 12 years, whatever, 20, 40, and then you, you start having kids. And, I mean, so what basically she's saying is, hey, I, I don't want all the hard stuff that comes with this. I want this to be easy. I just want the wedding. See, a lot of people just want the banquet, right? They want the banquet with Jesus, but they don't want discipleship. And so that's what Jesus is communicating. Know the cost. To follow me means this, right? Look at the next parable he shares, and then we'll apply. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first down consider, or excuse me, first sit down. Did I say first? First down? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, not yet, not yet. It's coming, it's coming. It's just preseason. <laughs> I think I said that. <laughs> anyway, 
Okay, let me start back over. So, <laughs> oh man, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far, far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So I think just real simply, here, here's how kind of I would break this parable down. I don't think any wise king right, goes into battle blindly. They're, they're not. Especially with, with 10,000 men knowing that there's 20,000 of the other. If you're going to do that, you're going to go in with a plan. But, but if you do go into that without a plan, knowing who your enemy is and how big they are, if you don't go in with a plan, what, what's, what's it going to end up being? White flag. I'm out, right? I'm out. So real simply, I, I think how we can take that and apply it is that Christianity, a walk with Jesus, discipleship is a battle. It's a battle. We are in a war. It's a spiritual war. Our world doesn't see it. It's all over the place. Just watch the news. Spiritual warfare, all over the place. All over the place. We see it, and we are in the battle, and it is hard. It's not easy. We need to know there's a real enemy. We need to know there's a real war going on. We need to understand that there are real casualties in this war. We need to understand there are real quitters in this war, but not us. We're not to quit. We're called not to quit. There was some history done on the Galatians. Sound familiar? The area of Galatia made some people ponder. It was an area that was not easily defensible, right? You wouldn't look at it and think, oh, there's, there's a lot of fortified things that keeps them from having attacks against them. They seem to be kind of like a sitting duck at times. But somehow... The Galatians lasted quite a few years, hundreds of years. And so the question was brought up, how did they do that? How did they do that? Because they seemed to be just an area and a plain where people would come and attack them easily and wipe them out. How did they last for so long? And here's what one historian said, is that it shows what we have shown through history that they fought differently than most people in those days. Here's how they would fight. When they would go to battle, they would bring their wives, they would bring their children with them. And the soldiers would kiss their wife, kiss their sons, kiss their daughters, and say, okay, daddy's going to war with these guys. And we're going to go against those guys. And if daddy loses, something's going to change. Your last name is going to change who you think you're going to marry. It's going to change because their sons are going to marry you. And he look at his wife and say, there's going to be some evident changes. I don't know what they're going to do to you. And they would look at their family and tell them that. And if he won, he got to go back to his family. But if he lost, someone else took his family home the enemy. 
Those guys didn't lose a battle for hundreds of years, history tells us. Hundreds of years. Why? Here's the deal. Because you fight differently when you fight for someone you love and for a kingdom you belong to. And that's what they did. That's what Jesus has in mind here. First love, him, part of the kingdom of God. We understand the battle. We go into it differently. We go into it differently. And we don't quit. We don't throw in the towel. We're tempted to get out, right? I mean, you think of soldiers over a period of time in long wars and long battles that exhaust them to death, and, and they're ready to get out, understandably. And that can be our temptation. Second Chronicles 15, verse 7 tells us, Be strong and do not lose courage, for there is a reward waiting for you. There is riches in heaven for you. There is rewards to you finishing and persevering. There is rewards. Be courage, or excuse me, be courageous, be strong. And another side of this, in, in this battle, there is the reality of sin, right? Constantly coming up against us. And there are probably times where we're like, you know, I thought I conquered that, but this thing keeps raising up, crouching at the door, coming trying to devour me all the time, keeps trying to come. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, Hebrews 12 tells us. Keep our eyes fixed on him and so we can't quit. It's a battle, but we cannot quit. Keep trusting him. Look at these last three. So then, right? This is an interesting little, little twist. and just kind of seems like it's just thrown in there, but it's not. Listen to what he says. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So he starts applying the parables that he just shared, and his message is clear. Be willing to sacrifice all you have, even your possessions, to follow Jesus. Jesus is wise here. Right? He knows what the pursuit of possessions can do to us. He knows what our possessions and our things can do to us. They can have a control of us. The pursuit of things, possessions, entertainment, I and mean, we can just list it. The pursuit of those things can control us. And Jesus is saying here, hold to those things loosely. The things of this world, hold to them loosely. Don't let them take a hold of you. And what happens is a lot of times in life, they take a hold of us. Our priorities start changing. Our first love changes. The willingness to take up the cross changes instead of we're exalting self and what I want over what he wants. And then look at the last two verses. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Real simply, salt is good. What's it good for? Right? A few things. It was used to keep things from decaying. In small doses, it would be good for fertilizing land. And its most familiar use, right, is to help season food, to bring out the taste of food, to make food taste better. But what if salt loses its flavor. What do, what do we know? It's no good. It's useless. And that's the key word there. It is useless. 
Back in this day, salt would come from the dead See, it would be mixed with other elements so they didn't have pure salt back then. Over time, the salt would be removed from those other compounds and the salt was unsalty. It would therefore lose its saltiness. So farmers would do what? They would use salt for the soil or manure pile to help fertilize. But if it had lost its saltiness, what happened? It even became useless for that. So what is Jesus saying here? What's his point? We know in other places Jesus talks about salt. Matthew 5.13, he says, the salt of the, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth. In a decaying, corrupt world, you are pure, right? You're fruitful. You're useful. You have a great opportunity here on this earth to live for the kingdom of God, to be to live out goodness and what is right and good. But, he says in Matthew 5.13, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. And what does he mean here? What's this idea? I think real simply, a disciple who quits pursuing Jesus as his first love, like salt, loses his saltiness. Right? So if we quit reading our Bible... We quit repenting. We quit, that means turning from sin. Um, you name it. We, we quit on community. All these things, we start quitting those things. What happens, we start losing our saltiness. And Jesus says right here, we become what? Useless. Nobody in here wants to be useless. Nobody in here says, hey, you know what? I, I want to live a worthless life. Nobody says that. And so what does a worthwhile, useful, fruitful life look like? Well, here's what Jesus said. It's being committed. It's being committed to him and living for him. I want to read you something before we close today. John's going to come up. And I just want to read you, I think, a great summation of what we've heard today. And look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, it'll be up on the screen. I just want you to hear this and the spirit of it, almost like, I think of Braveheart, is what I think of. <laughs> I'm not Mel Gibson, and I'm not, you know, some guy with a sword this morning, but as Paul's writing this, it almost sounds like that to his, his, his army, his soldiers, his, his troops in the kingdom of God. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, working together with him, Jesus, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. All right? Don't be flippant. Don't be empty about it. Don't just be like this large crowd who wanted all the good and all the benefits and just wanted all the frills and thrills and, um, but didn't want to commit. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. This is what God says. And Paul says, behold, now is that acceptable time. We live in that time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is that time. He says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, 
commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and even good report. So some are going to hate you, he says. Regarded as deceivers, yet we are truthful. As unknown, yet well known. As dying, yet behold, we live. As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich with the gospel, with the kingdom of God. As having nothing yet. And I love what he says here, possessing all things. That's what a disciple is. Who says, I'm, I have nothing. I have nothing in this world. But I possess all things because I have everything in Jesus. Today, is, is that your story? Is that where you're at? Do you believe that? Have you accepted the invitation of the kingdom of God? Has God stirred your heart? Has God drawn you to himself? And are you his disciple today? I pray you hear this today and you're like, all right, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Scripture says that we must confess Jesus is Lord. Lord. What is Lord? Lord is he's commander-in-chief, man. He is the commanding officer, and we are to follow him, his orders, his commands, and trust him. Have you done that today? Church, don't quit. Don't quit. Finish.